We have come as far as Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, we have some in the back. We can get one into your hands if you need or want one. Um, Yep. And... We're going to read down this morning through the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 6. So God's word reads, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be seen in secret, or may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners of the, or on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And so, Father, would you honor the reading of your word this morning, Lord? Would you go before us in these few short minutes? And Lord, would you speak to us? Would you minister to us, Lord? Give us ears to hear. Lord, align our hearts this morning with you and with what you have for us. Lord, may we leave here this morning knowing that we've been touched by you, knowing that we've heard your voice. Lord, so that we can live out practically these truths. Lord, as we consider this passage this morning, Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that, Lord, these words are written in red. Lord, these are words that you spoke to your disciples, to your fathers, Lord, and by ex- uh, to your followers, and by extension, Lord, to us. So, Lord, we've come, Lord, ready and willing to receive from you. So speak to us, minister to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are working through the Gospel of Matthew, and you know, we've come to this, to this section And if you have a red-letter Bible, no doubt your entire page is filled with red letters, right? That we are at the Sermon of the Mount, the Sermon of the King. You know, and this is a, a discourse that Jesus gave to his disciples, to those that were following him. You know, in this discourse, this sermon that we affectionately call the Sermon on the Mount... It consists of chapters 5, chapters 6, and 7. 
You know, and in chapter 5, you know, as Pastor Dean has been bringing us through this gospel, chapter 5, we learned what we are. We learned what we are. We learned that we are blessed. We learned that we are righteous. We learned that we are perfect. We also learned that our blessedness, our righteousness, our perfection, it speaks of our position in Christ. It speaks of our position in Christ, not out necessarily our practice on earth. If you were to ask me if I was a perfect person, I would have to tell you that no, I am not. Do I always practice righteousness? And the truth is, is no, I do not. And if you're being honest with yourself, you would have to answer the same way. But because we are in Christ, because our position is in him and in his finished work on the cross, we can say we're perfect because God sees us that way. Not because of anything I did, right? But because of the work that Jesus did. Positionally, we are blessed. We are righteous. We are perfect. That is what we are. In him, in Christ. And now as we come into chapter 6, and as we consider this chapter this morning, chapter 6 moves on to not what we are, but what we do. Chapter 6 begins talking about the things that we do. Chapter 6 begins the practical application portion of Jesus' sermon. The point I think is very simple. When it comes to what we do, we need to remember what we are. When it comes to what we do, we need to remember who we are in Christ, our position in Him. Because our position in Him is going to then dictate and reflect the things that we do, the way we live our lives, how we respond to different situations the things we say. Therefore, if we are in Christ, then our actions, the things we do, should reflect that. It should reflect that we are in Christ and that we belong to him. This includes everything we do. It includes everything we say. It includes everywhere we go. Anybody else guilty of that? Right? When we get to work, you know, we kind of shift gears a little bit and start to say the things or do the things that our coworkers are doing because we just kind of fit into that mold and into that environment. Now, being in Christ determines not just what we do, not just what we say, but where we are and the places we go. And so this chapter 6 is going to begin to challenge the, the application of who we are in Christ. And chapter 6 begins with a command. Look at verse 1 there. Jesus says, take heed. Take heed. That is the, the Greek word prosecco. The Greek word prosecco. It means to beware. It means to, to turn the mind toward something. It means to pay attention to something. Jesus is saying, pay attention. Take heed. Listen up. Devote your thoughts or your effort to what I'm about to say. Take heed. 
prosecho. It is in, it's in the present active imper- uh, imperative in the Greek. What that means, it's in the present tense, meaning it's happening now, right? Jesus is saying, right now, you need to listen. Right now, you need to be paying attention to what I'm about to say. These are words in red in our Bibles because Jesus spoke them, and we need to be listening to them. You know, and I find it interesting that Jesus had to kind of take that extra step and say, no, I need you to pay attention to this. As if there's other things that Jesus said that we might not want to pay attention to. Jesus is saying, pay attention, prosecco, listen to this, devote your effort and your time and your attention to what I'm about to say. It's in the active tense, which means we are responsible for what he's about to say. We need to listen. You and I need to be paying attention to what Jesus is about to say. And lastly, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. Jesus is commanding us to listen to him, to pay attention to what he is about to tell us. Get the idea that this might be important to Jesus? That how we live our lives, how we act, what we say, where we go, is important because we, as believers, as we put our faith and our trust in him, we represent him in this world. And how we represent him is important in the things that we do, the things that we say. And so as usual, if you're taking notes this morning, if you're a note taker, if you like outlines like I do, it helps me follow along. We're going to be focusing on two things this morning, two points that we're going to look at in our text. It's broken down very simply. The first thing we're going to be looking at is giving or charitable deeds, as it's put there in verse 1. And the second point we're going to look at is prayer. Jesus says to pay attention, take heed, listen to your charitable deeds and to your prayer life. And so that's what we're going to take a few minutes to consider this morning. Giving in verses 1 through 4 and praying really in verses 5 through 13, although we'll only have time to get down to verse 8. And I'll, I'll leave 9 through 13 for Pastor Dean next week. So let's come to this first thing we want to consider. This first thing we are to take heed of, pay attention to, and that is our charitable deeds, or we might say our giving. And once again, Jesus outlines two things for us when it comes to our giving, two things to consider. And that those, I'll give them, again, I'll give them to you and then we'll drop back and we'll look at each one. Jesus wants us to consider giving publicly and he wants us to consider giving privately. Giving publicly and giving privately. So Jesus says in verses 1 and 2, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
So Jesus here calls out these hypocrites, he says, for doing their charitable deeds, or we might say their, their giving, their charity, to be seen by men. To be seen by men. And notice what he says that they're doing, right? They grab their band, their trumpets, their little entourage, and they start blowing their trumpets. Everybody look what I'm about to do. I want everyone to see and witness this good thing that I'm going to do. I mean, can you just imagine just how obnoxious that seems? Right? Walking to the synagogue. Here we go. This is how much I'm going to give to the Lord today. Jesus' point here is that we do our charitable deeds for the attention, for the applause of other men. That that is, in and of itself, our reward. Are we doing things to be seen by others? Or are we doing things because we want to honor the Lord? You know, we might be thinking, why does it matter? Why does it matter how I do a charitable deed? As long as the charitable deed gets done. I mean, after all, we're still doing a good thing, right? We see someone in need, we see someone that needs help, and we... We rise to the occasion and we're there for that person. Does it really matter what my motive was? The truth is, is that God cares. See, God looks at the heart. God cares not just that we did something, but he cares how we did it, with what motive we did something. You see, God wants our motives to be pure. God wants our motives to be focused on Him. He wants us to do things because we represent Him in the world, not because we're trying to puff ourselves up and be something that in reality we're really not. I mean, is there really such a thing as a good person? I mean, we can do good things, but in and of ourselves, are we really good people? Jeremiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Because in ourselves, we don't have anything. We have nothing to offer if it's not Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Our charitable deeds should not be something that we sound the trumpet for, announce to the world that we're doing our service to the Lord, what we do, the areas in which we serve, the time that we donate, the things that we do for the Lord. We're doing for the Lord, hopefully, right? Not for men, not to be seen by others, right? But so that the Lord can see. How often when we, we do a nice thing or a charitable thing, how often when we help that person in need or whatever it is, right? We want sit there and kind of in the back of our minds, we're kind of wondering like, hey, did somebody see that? Someone witness what I just did? 
Were the cameras rolling? Did anybody catch that? You know, I always find it interesting when, and I just saw one of these just the other day, right, watching, watching TV. I always find it interesting when a, you know, a multi-million dollar corporation will donate a whole bunch of money to charity, and then they'll run a commercial ad campaign to let you know that they donated to this so-and-so charity, right? Isn't that the exact kind of behavior that Jesus is warning against here? I mean, if it was really to donate and to give back to that charity, do I really need to know about it? Is it really my business? And I'm not trying to come down on different corporations. I just find it interesting that for the believer, for the Christian, when we do things, it should be to promote the Lord and not ourselves. It should be to see him high and lifted up. You see, we shouldn't be looking for that attaboy, that pat on the back. Hey, good job. The idea here is that rather than looking like good people, we should probably just endeavor to try and just be good people, regardless of who sees us, regardless of who's paying attention, regardless of any, if anybody sees. You know, and the idea here carries farther than just the things that we do. It also deals with our finances, right? When, when he's talking about charitable deeds, one of the elements that he's talking about is our money, our finances. We might say our tithes and our offerings. The money that we give to the Lord. Jesus says it should be done in secret. It should be done in secret. Not openly, not in a way for others to see. Remember the story in Mark chapter 12? Right? The widow and her two mites. Right? Remember the story in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12, it says, Now when Jesus sat opposite of the treasury, he saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. And then this one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who had given to the treasury. For they all, put, they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she have, her whole livelihood. You see, here's what they would do. Speaking of, of, you know, blowing the horn and announcing your wealth and announcing your charitable deeds that you're going to give back to the Lord, here's what they would do. They would take their robes, Right, and they would fill it with all their coins. They would kind of carry it, right? And then they'd walk over to the treasury and they would just start shoveling it in, right? So those coins would kind of make all sorts of noise on the way in so that everybody knew how much they were giving to the Lord. Everybody was aware how generous they were being. And then this poor widow comes in and she tosses in her two mites. 
It's not even heard. I mean, in the, in the sense of the treasury, it didn't matter. Right? It really wasn't a contribution as far as they were concerned. But in God's economy, it meant everything. Because she gave of her substance. It was all she had. And all she had, she says, God, it belongs to you. I'm going to give it back to you. I'll trust in you for my needs. I'll give you everything. And Jesus pulled his disciples aside and said, look, she gave more than everybody else. Because everything else that was given was out of an abundance. Even though it looked like a lot, they didn't feel it. It didn't mean anything to them. This woman gave everything. Jesus says, take notice of her and what she gave. You know, this is why, one of the reasons why we have an agape box in the back. You'll notice this morning we didn't pass a plate around. You know, not that there's anything wrong with passing a plate. There isn't, right? I'm not, I'm not condemning churches that pass a plate. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not something we do here. Because I think sometimes there can be maybe a temptation, right? When you see that plate coming along, you know, you start scrambling, oh, I forgot my wallet today, or I forgot to write the check, or whatever it is, right? You feel condemned or convicted because you didn't put anything in the plate as it came by. Perhaps there's a temptation to kind of peer in as it's coming by to see what your neighbor is doing, what your neighbor is giving. Perhaps when you write your check, you leave it face open on the top so everybody in the row can see how many zeros you put on there. Listen, our giving, it needs to be between us and the Lord, between nobody else. It's between us and the Lord. That's why Jesus says in verses 3 and 4, coming to our second point, right, it should be a public thing. Our giving should be private. It should be private. What, so Jesus says in verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. Jesus is saying that either our reward is going to come from man, or it's going to come from God. Who would you rather be rewarded by? You know, If we give publicly, seeking attention from man, that's what our reward is going to be, right? When we get that attaboy, that pat on the back, everybody stand and clap. Look what they just did. Well, guess what? You just got your reward, right? When we get to heaven, when we stand before the bema seat of Christ, Right, in the old Olympics, right, when you stand on that platform to see who's going to get the bronze, the silver, and the gold, it was the Bema platform, right, that they were receiving the measure for the work they did. And when we stand before God and God measures us, he's going to be measuring our motives. 
And if our motive was to receive glory from man, then that was the reward. We received it. No, our charity needs to be done privately. He says in secret because our Father in heaven sees in the secret place and he rewards us openly. Again, this is why our box is in the back because it's between you and the Lord. Listen, what you give, how much you give, it's nobody's business. It's not my business or anybody else's. It's between you and the Lord. It is a private issue of worship. It's worship. It's an act of worship. And it's between us and the Lord. Again, it's not how much, and it's not the way we give. It's the heart behind it. God looks at the heart. You know, I know that I know that tithe means a tenth or ten percent. And some will say that you need to give more. Some would say you need to give less. But it really isn't about quantity. It is about quality. It is about the motive, the heart behind what we're doing. Right? Jesus says he wants a cheerful giver. If you're going to give to the Lord begrudgingly, then just don't give. Because he wants our hearts. That's what's important to him. It's our hearts. Listen, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not going broke. He doesn't need my money. But he wants my heart. So we keep our box in the back. If you want to know how to give, you'll find out how to give. You know, it's biblical, by the way. It's biblical. In 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, the temple priests, the Levitical priests, were receiving money. And the temple had fallen into disrepair, had been damaged. And the king had confronted the priests and said, why has the temple not been repaired? You've received money. Why has it not been repaired? It's because they had kept the money for themselves. And so the priest, um, Jehoiada, the priest, he took a chest. He bore a hole in the lid of the chest, and he set it next to the altar. So when people came into the synagogue, when they came into the temple, they would put their money into the chest. And that money went to fund the work of the Lord and then subsequently pay for the, the damages and the repair to the temple. You know, in the Old Testament, 10% of an Israelite's income went to support the Levitical priests. Which is oftentimes why we get this idea that, you know, we tithe 10%. And again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for this, okay? What you give is between you and the Lord, and you can work that out with him. But then there was another 10% of the Israelites' income that went towards festivals and um, building the community. 
another 3.3% went to help feed the needy and the poor. And there were some other kind of percentages mixed in there. So at the end of the day, the total giving from an Israelite income was more than 25%. More than 25% of an Israelite's income went to the Lord and to his work. And once again, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not going to tell you what percentage you need to give. Because the New Testament doesn't have a number. It doesn't have a percentage. Right? It's about grace. It's about the Lord. It's about quality, not quantity. After all, I mean, let's really think about this for just a moment. After all, 100% of my income already belongs to him. It's already his. Let's face it. Everything I have, I owe to the Lord. Right? I have the job I have because he's enabled me to have it. Right? I have the career I have because he's given me the gift to do the work that I do. It all belongs to him. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells this story about a farmer farmer who, who went into the house one day to tell his wife and his family some good news. The family cow just gave birth to twin calves, one red and one white. He continued, he said he, he, he must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. Right? The Lord blessed him with two calves, twin calves. One of them's going to the Lord. He says he will bring them up together, and when the time comes, he will sell one, keep the proceeds, and he will sell the other, and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. So his wife asks him when he was going to dedicate, uh, which one he was going to dedicate to the Lord. Which one, the white one or the red one? And he said, there's no need to bother about that now, he, he replied. We'll treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say. So a few days later, he, he enters the kitchen looking very unhappy. What happened, his wife asks. He says, I have some bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. Wait, said his wife. You didn't decide which calf was the Lord. He said, oh, yes. I decided it was the white one, and the white one died. The Lord's calf is dead. You know, but isn't that so true how we sometimes act, Right? Well, this one was mine, and that belongs to the Lord. You know, I was just talking to, I was talking to, to Jesse earlier this week. I was, we were talking about Chick-fil-A and just how, how Chick-fil-A does things, right? Like, in terms of fast food, it's always such a pleasant experience. At least for me, whenever I go to Chick-fil-A, it's always like, wow. You know, and... Uh, Jesse works there, and he says that it's really an endeavor that they make to make every customer as happy as possible. You know, and it's a company that wants to honor the Lord. They're closed on Sundays to honor the Lord. And after our conversation, I went and looked it up, and it's no accident, right, that there was a, just this past year, a Fox News article saying that Chick-fil-A has raised to the second highest grossing fast food chain in the world, second to McDonald's. Yet they're closed a whole extra day, right? Every other fast food chain is open seven days a week, some of them 24 hours a day. 
And yet here's a company that wants to honor the Lord, be closed on Sunday so that their employees can worship their God. And yet they're profitable. I mean, that can't be just coincidence, right? They're honoring the Lord. Listen, this can't be overstated. When we give to the Lord, it's not how much of my income that I am giving to him. But rather, how much of God's wealth I dare to keep for myself. It's all his. It already belongs to him. So the question is, how much do I want to keep of his money, of his resources, of his gifts? You know, when I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school, and one of my teachers, Mr. Shannon, he explained to us that when he tithes, when he gives to his church, his tithe check is the first check that he writes each month. In other words, the first thing he does with his finances is he decides how much he gives to the Lord. And then he trusts in the Lord for the remainder. In other words, he's not going to sit there, okay, my mortgage is this much, my car payment, my cable bill, my electric, my water. Okay, now that all this stuff is paid, here's what's left over for the Lord. No, instead, he says, this is what is owed to my God. And I'll trust and rely on him for the remainder of it. You know, I don't remember much about my high school accounting class, but I remember that. That has always stuck with me. Because it forces the question, am I trusting in my finances or am I trusting in the Lord? Perhaps the most thorough teaching on the idea of giving is given to us from Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We obviously don't have time this morning to to do a whole study on those two chapters, but I'd encourage you to go and read those two chapters. Consider what Paul is saying. I'll give you some of the high points. As you work through these chapters, you know, if you take the time to do this, you'll learn that giving is sacrificial. Giving is sacrificial. And in the first six verses of chapter 8, even though the, the church in Macedonia was suffering and struggling themselves, they gave generously, they gave sacrificially to those in need. He also points out that giving is spiritual. Giving is spiritual, he says. In verse 7, he says, As we abound in faith, speech, and in knowledge, we should also abound in giving. In other words, giving should be a part of how we act and live out our faith. Giving is a spiritual thing. Giving is also a gospel issue. Giving is a gospel issue. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 8, Jesus says that Jesus was rich, but he became poor for us. Jesus was rich. He had all the riches in heaven, and he's... He left all of that behind. He became poor for you and for me, for us, for the sake of the gospel. Our giving, the things we do, should be furthering the gospel. 
His kingdom, His kingdom work. Giving, Paul says, is also encourages others. It encourages others to give. Right in chapter 8, verses 13 through 15, when we provide for someone else's needs, right, it encourages others to also step up and give and meet people's needs. The world might use the phrase, pay it forward. Right? When you see someone else doing something for somebody else, it, it encourages you, it makes you feel good, and says, man, I should do something like that. Again, not for the motive to be seen by other men, but let's just face it, some things are just more visible. Right? Some services unto the Lord are just visible. They're meant to be seen. The question is, is are we doing it because we want to be seen or because we want to honor and glorify him? Giving also enables churches to meet needs, right? When, when Macedonia was, was willing to give out of their poverty to meet needs, Paul is then encur- encouraging the church in Corinth that they should also be giving and meeting needs. Giving is about sowing and reaping. I like this one. Giving is about sowing and reaping. In chapter 9, verses 6 through 12, Paul talks about giving. What we sow, we will also reap. And when I was kind of looking and considering this, this is not talking about the prosperity gospel, right? If you have some seed money, God's going to bless you. If you put this little money here and you give to the Lord... He is going to give you riches in abundance. No, no, no. That's not what this is talking about. What he's talking about is what are we putting our money into? We're sowing our money somewhere. What is it going into? And then subsequently, what are we reaping from that? What is returned in the process? Listen, if we are sowing to the Lord, we will reap his kingdom work. We will reap his work being done. Giving is evidence of the believer. Chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, that if we have truly received God's gift to us, if we've truly experienced the greatest gift ever given, which was the Son Jesus Christ, on our behalf, offered for us. If we've truly received that gift, then we know and we understand what it is to give a gift. And that we also want to give back to the Lord the only thing we have, which is ourselves. Say, God, here I am. This is for you. If we've received God's gift, His Son, Jesus Christ, and we have an understanding of what grace is, and what it is to be generous. And then lastly, before we move on, giving promotes worship. Giving promotes worship. All throughout that passage of chapter, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, he talks about it being an act of worship. True giving is focused on the Lord and is an act of worship in our lives. 
verse 11, verse 12, 13, verse 15. We're worshiping him. Now, please, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not up here this morning begging for money. I'm not up here this morning saying that you need to give to this church or another church or whatever else, okay? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that this ministry is failing. If you don't give to the Lord right here, right now, today, then God is going to go broke. God is not broke. It's not what I'm saying at all. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50, verse 10. Right? God's doing just fine. And God will provide for the ministries that are honoring him. What I am saying is that God wants our worship. He wants our worship. And giving, both of our service and of our finances, is an act of that. It's an act of worship. It is spiritual. It is sacrificial. It promotes the gospel if it's done right. And it needs to be a part of our lives. Trust me. Trust me, this message is as difficult to preach as I'm sure it is to hear. But it's in our text. It's what Jesus is talking about. Well, back to Matthew chapter 6. We said there were two things. We have to hurry. We only have like 45 minutes left. So in verse 5, there's another thing that Jesus tells us that we need to take heed of. We need to listen to. We need to pay attention to. And that is our prayer life. Our prayer life. We're going to get into this in a much deeper way next week. But once again... In our second point, there are two things we want to consider. Just like giving, where he warns us against public giving, and he encourages us to give privately. In our prayer life, in this second point, there's two things we want to consider. Jesus tells us and warns us about praying publicly, and he encourages us to pray privately. Look at verse 5. He says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You sense a pattern here of what Jesus is saying? That we should not be doing things to be seen by men, right? If we enter into prayer just so that we can sound more spiritual than somebody else, there's a problem. He says, when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. You know, that Greek word, right, is where we get our word for actor. Playing the part. Being something that you're not. Entertaining others. That's what actors do, right? They get paid to entertain us. And if our prayer life is to entertain others, then listen, we're praying wrong. We've missed it. The focus should not be on looking spiritual or looking more important. You ever been to those prayer meetings where someone starts to pray 
And they drop down to that low, baritone voice. They start praying in old King James. Oh, Father, how wonderful thou art. Thy creator, thy savior. Because they want to sound spiritual. Now, when we pray, we're meeting with our Father in heaven. That's the point. We're seeking him. Right? Isn't that the point of prayer? Focus on the Lord. Shouldn't matter who else is in the room, if anybody, right? The focus is on the Lord. Prayers that focus on being seen or heard by men and not by God, such prayers, quite frankly, are an insult to God. When we mouth words towards God while really trying to impress others, we then use God merely as a tool to impress someone else. Jesus isn't saying there's something wrong with public prayer. Jesus is saying that we need to be careful what our public prayer looks like. I mean, we meet here on Wednesday nights for a time of public prayer. Right? But if we're coming on Wednesday night so that other people in the room can see that we showed up for prayer, if that's why we're coming, I think we need to check our priorities. And once again, if that's the case, if that's where we are, then that is the reward. Right? We're not going to stand before God one day and he's going to, to reward us because we were seeking the attention of other men. That is the reward. The attention we get from others is the reward if that's the motive behind what we're doing. So we don't want to miss the point. What Jesus is telling us to do and what he is telling us to focus on is that private life, our private prayer. Notice what he says in verses 6 through 8. He says, but you, when you pray, he says, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of him. So I'll say it again. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. He's not condemning our public prayer life. If done correctly, however, it is emphasizing our private prayer life. In other words, if our public prayer life is the only prayer life we have, if the only time we pray is when we come here on Wednesday nights, if that is our only time of prayer, there might be a problem. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really being honest in ourselves, this is an area in which we fall short. At least, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure you are. I'll pray for you. Our personal life, our private prayer life needs attention. I know for myself, I don't pray nearly as often as I should. Listen, God has opened up a channel of communication for us a way to commune and have fellowship with him. We need to take advantage of that. 
In fact, that needs to be a priority in our lives. Listen, I know we're all busy, right? We're all running a thousand miles an hour. We have a lot to do. Seems like we're going every which way direction. Or maybe it's just me. But it's important that we get alone and that we get private with our God and that we seek him. Jesus said in John 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How often does he hear from you? He says, I give them eternal life and they never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I've given them eternal life, given you eternal life, salvation. He says, I want to hear from my sheep. I want to hear from my children. Meet with me. Seek me. Psalm 46.10, a verse we know well. Be still and know that I am God. I will exalt, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And if I, if I could add to that just a little bit, take a little bit of liberty, he needs to be exalted in our lives, and he needs to be exalted in our prayer life. He says, be still and know that I am God. Do you take time throughout the day to just be still? To just hear from him? Because let's face it, this world gets very loud, very busy, very fast, and very distracting. And before we know it, the day is over, we're laying down our head, and we're passed out on the bed before we have a chance to seek our Father in heaven. No, we need to schedule our time with the Lord. It needs to be deliberate. It needs to be important to us. Jesus did. This is something that Jesus practiced, and it's littered all throughout the New Testament, or throughout the Gospels. Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, right? In, chapter, in verses 9 through 13, right, Jesus is going to give us what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? A prayer that we've probably all memorized. And he gives this prayer, he gives this instruction because his disciples were asking, saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they had seen it modeled in his life. Jesus needed to get alone with his Father. And if Jesus needed to, how much more do you and I need to? If it was important to him, it needs to be important to us. How can we say we are followers of Jesus if we're not modeling the things he did? Listen, we need a prayer closet. We need a prayer closet. And I'm not saying it needs to be a closet Okay, mine are kind of full. I won't fit in there. But we need a place where we can get alone and we can pray. A place that's free from the world's distractions where we can seek our Father in heaven. A place where we can close the door. Listen, turn off the TV. Shut down the computer. Leave the phone behind. I'll say that one again. Leave the phone behind. And focus on the Lord. 
Nothing buzzing, beeping, nothing in the background to distract us. Turn it off if you have to. No one to impress except God. Isn't that the point that Jesus is telling us? We don't want to be impressing anybody else except our Father in heaven. He's the one we're trying to get before. In fact, this specific word, right, in the Greek where, um, excuse me, I lost my place. Uh, in, in, uh, in verse 6, right, when you pray, go into your room. This Greek word for room was used for a, a, a storeroom where treasures were kept. Jesus is saying, go into your treasure room, shut the door, and meet with your father. Right? This carries the idea right, that our treasures, our rewards, they're with our father in heaven. And we need a place where we can meet with him. Reminds us, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this in... in um, in just a couple of verses, in verse 20, right? Jesus says to lay up your treasures in heaven, right? Where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves can't break in and steal. We need a prayer closet where we meet with the Lord. And this isn't a place where we can just, you know, he, say, he warns us against long, repetitious prayers, right? We don't just go in there to repeat ourselves over and over and over again. We're not, we're not just going to recite the Lord's Prayer a whole bunch of times and say we've had a prayer life. No, Jesus is warning against that. You know, again, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. The quality of our time with our Lord. I don't think we have to set it on our calendar and say, I'm going to spend at least 30 minutes in my prayer closet today. If I can't think of something to pray about, I'll just keep repeating the same thing over and over again until I've met that 30-minute quota. That's not the point, right? The point is to meet with our Father, to seek Him. It's not how long our prayer is, but again, it's the heart behind our prayer. In fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.2, God is in heaven, you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Remember in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus sent his disciples in a boat. The storm came. They see Jesus there walking on the water. And our favorite disciple, Peter, is like, Lord, if that's really you, command me to come out and meet you on the water. So Jesus has come, right? And Peter does this amazing thing. He steps out on the water, right? The only other person to ever walk on water besides Jesus was Peter. The problem is Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and started focusing on the wind and the waves and the storm that was around them. And Peter began to sink. Peter began to sink and Peter prayed the shortest and most powerful prayer in Scripture. It was three words. Lord, save me. Listen, it's not the quantity. It's the quality of the prayer. Peter got his eyes off of Jesus, and he realized 
the situation he was in. And he realized that there was only one person that could save him, and it was Jesus Christ. That he needed to affix his eyes on him. Lord, save me the power and the simplicity of Peter's prayer. What is our greatest need this morning? It's that we need a Savior. It's that we need Jesus. So verse 8 tells us, right? Your Father knows the things that you have need of before you even ask. He knows our needs. He's well aware. It's not like we have to inform him of what's going on in our lives. No, what he wants is the relationship. He wants to meet with his children. He wants to hear from us because his sheep know his voice. He knows what we need. God knew we need saving. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die for us, to be the penalty for our sins. Listen, this morning, we don't need to ask for a savior We just need to say with Peter, Lord, save me. We just need to recognize that we need saving and that there is a Savior. You know, Romans 10.10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That is our greatest need, is to meet with our Savior, to know that we have been redeemed, and that we can say this morning with Peter, Lord, save me. I'm a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner in need of saving. Peter realized that his eyes had gotten off of the Lord, and there was only one person that could bring him back. And this morning, if you don't know the Lord, You can pray the shortest, simplest, and most powerful prayer in the world. And that is just to confess to the Lord that you need to be saved. Perhaps your life has gotten a little off track. Maybe you know the Lord. Maybe you're you're a believer in Him, but your life has just gotten a little bit distracted because of the noise and the busyness of this world. Lord, save me. He's calling you back to Him this morning saying, get back into your prayer closet, that room that you need in your life. And it doesn't have to be a closet. You know, a lot of times for me, it's my car. Right? Turn the radio off. There's nothing else going on. And while I'm driving, I can just seek my Father in heaven. You know, and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know where that room is. I don't know what that looks like, but you need to have it. It needs to be a part of your life. We need to be in prayer. And so, Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it speaks and how it ministers to us. Lord, how it reminds us that we need you. Lord, that we are reminded that not only are we, Lord, not only do we belong to you, God, that you have blessed us, you have made us righteous, you have perfected us in your Son, Lord, but that our lives need to reflect that. The things that we do, the things that we say, the places that we go need to reflect our faith in you, our obedience to you. 
our worship that is owed to you. So God, as we go from this place this morning, would you speak to us? Lord, would you continue to minister to us? Go before us today. God, behind lifted up in our lives. God, we love you. We praise you this morning. God, receive the honor in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.